my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm Amy. And this is What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. Today, we get to talk to Vernice Flygirl Armor. And she is such a rock star in every way but I think for me I once spoke at a conference with Bernice years ago and we crossed paths very briefly but I didn't really meet her and then just recently she joined a board I'm on and I immediately clicked with her and we started talking offline and I think it can be lonely sometimes feeling like you're out there fighting the battle for women. You sometimes think, oh, what would my life be like if I just sat there and thought about yoga or my next latte? And I don't think we're capable of being that person, Amy. <laughs> but sometimes you're like, oh my God, why did I make my life so complicated and I'm exhausted from fighting all the time? I do. I think that's right. I mean, there have definitely been times in my own life where I've thought, okay, can I just take a break for three or six months? And it is not in my constitution. And you can tell that Vernice is very much the same. She has done so many hard things. And what we talk about with her too is she's been the first so many times. From the first African-American woman in the police force in Tempe, Arizona, to the first African-American female combat pilot in the Marines. I mean, just an over and over and over again. And that too can just be really exhausting. When you uncover someone's story who you didn't know, who's an incredible inspiration, sometimes I think it's easy to think the only people out there fighting the, the battle are Oprah Winfrey, Abby Wambach, and Glennon Doyle, and you know, and Shonda Rhimes or something. Like only the people that are always have their names in lights. It reminds you that there's a lot of depth on the bench. And that gives me a lot of heart. Like, it makes me feel good. Well, if you want a lot of heart, listen to the rest of this podcast because it is incredible. What's up? I am Vernice Fly Girl Armor, and I am blown away, having a blast, ready to engage missiles, ready loaded to be on What's Her Story with who? Sam and Amy. You've been the first a lot. Does it ever become normal to be the first? Yes. My last name starts with A. I was always at the front of the line. <laughs> 
But but does it ever frustrate you? I mean, I would think it's more just frustrating that you're still the first, right? Like in 2020, how come you're still the first so often? Right. The reason I am still the first so often is because the playing field still isn't level for communities of color, period, end of story. Uh, I mean, we didn't even get our first black female general in the Marine Corps until last year. Does that mean there was never a black woman qualified or the, uh, a black woman never became, you was cream of the crop? No, but access and exposure to whatever it is in any industry is absolutely key. I mean, Bessie Coleman, the first black pilot, male or female, couldn't even get licensed here in America, had to go over to France, learn how to speak French and get her license in France because she couldn't get it here in America. So, you know, we have a ways to go from being kidnapped from our communities, brought over, uh, made into slaves and property, raped, hung, castrated. I know I'm getting kind of graphic here, but like for people to really understand where black people have come from. I mean, even once blacks were freed, that a lot of did sharecropping, which is living on the same land, working that land and giving all the crops to the owner to be able to live on the land, right? Then we were three fifths of a person, which meant you couldn't vote because you had to be five fifths, a whole person. So just to bring it around to this whole, you know, Black Lives Matter that's happening right now. So, and this is not a political conversation. This is about our humanity, our character as a country, who are we as a people when we say Black Lives Matter? Me and I could not agree more with you. And we feel so strongly that the people who say, oh, wow, Black Lives Matter, it's like, where where have you been? And why haven't you been thinking this way before the last few months? How do you react to people who seem surprised? Sometimes I think it's like, okay, like, really? And sometimes people live in communities where they just don't see it and they haven't been exposed to it, or they haven't had friends that were close to them that shared those stories. I do have tons of stories before I was a police officer, as a police officer, after being a police officer. But one of the ones that I really remember, my dad was teaching me how to drive. I was 16. He said, all right, pull over. I'm going to ask you a question. It's not going to be on the test, but it's the most important one. I said, okay. He said, what do you do if you get stopped by the police? I said, hands visible, 10 and two. That's right, he said. I said, but dad, what if I didn't do anything wrong? It doesn't matter. See, my, my dad didn't want me to be right. He just wanted me to come home that night, right? So when we talk about Black Lives Matter, I doubt many white parents have that conversation with their kids. When you think about buying a bag of Skittles and walking home, Trayvon Martin, or uh, jogging down the street, Ahmaud Aubrey, just a couple hours from where I live. I, I mean, I don't even jog out of my outside of my neighborhood anymore. I mean, sleeping in your bed, Breonna Taylor. I mean, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't jog. Like, what can you do and actually still feel safe in your own home, in your own bed? So this is a total surprise. I did not expect our conversation to go off like this from, from the very, from jump, but it. I think it speaks to our leadership in our communities and our companies um, and from us internally, right? And it, and it goes back to who do we want to be? How do you decide who you want to be when you don't have that access and representation, right? Going back to the issue of you being the first, how did you decide who you wanted to be when you hadn't seen yourself? When I was a kid, four years old, uh, born in Chicago, I saw a cop riding a horse downtown. I was like, oh, I wanted to be a cop that rode a horse downtown. At the age of six, I got my very first pony. I'm like, yes, I am halfway there, right? <laughs> so who knew I was signing up for a life of service, you know, from enlisting in the Army to help get me ready for the police department because I enlisted when I was uh, 18. Can't be a cop till you're 21. So I saw the military as a strategic advantage, you know, to becoming a police officer. My brothers had a dirt bike, a moped, all kinds of stuff. And I wanted a little scooter. My mom was like, no, you're a girl. It's like, what? The worst thing she could have ever said to me. So when I got to college and I got my student loan and within uh, an hour, I had a cycle trader magazine. And within three days, I bought my very first motorcycle. It was my first vehicle. So of course, when I got on the police department, motors, you know, motorcycles, because Nashville didn't have an equestrian unit at the time. I wasn't trying to be the first. It was exciting. It was juicy. It was fun. It was adventurous. I wanted to be a motorcycle cop. Like, who didn't grow up watching Emergency and Chips? 
What was your family like growing up? You know, speeches I've listened to, things I've read, you've written, you talk a lot about how both your dad and your stepdad were military men. Sounds like you had two father figures. What was that like? I did. My parents got divorced at three, um, both got remarried. So I had two sets of parents and I got something from every single parent. Like my stepmom was the partier. My dad, that's uh, who I grew up with. He was Marine, three tours, Vietnam, played for the Colts when they were in Baltimore, work construction. Like my dad was tough. He was amazing. And uh, he taught me how to be courageous. He taught me about integrity. Like we were not allowed to lie. If we lied, man, we got to spank him from hell. My mom, she cared a lot about what everybody else thought. I went the exact opposite way. Like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm, you know, I'm maverick. I'm, I'm going for it. Oh, and my father, Mr. Philosophy, like he drew a circle and he said, okay, if there's a body of knowledge and you know what you know, what else is there if there are three pieces to the pie? I was like, uh, you know what you don't know, right? And then he said, well, what's the last piece? And my brother and I are thinking, thinking, thinking. My brother, 16 months younger than me. And then finally, my brother said, uh, you don't know what you don't know? And I was like, oh, because he got it before I did. We were very competitive. But he had me thinking about that stuff as a kid, seven, eight years old, right? And I grew up having those kind of Socratic conversations where it absolutely shaped me into the person I am today. So you became a parent five years ago. I did, yes. What led to that decision and how did that happen? So I've always wanted kids, but then, you know, I enlisted in the army, then I got on the police department, new job, Marine Corps, new job, flight school, new job. Then once I graduated from flight school, I'm in the fleet, I'm learning to fly my combat aircraft, 9-11 happens, we're on deployments. I think that's the age old question for women. When do you make the decision to have a kid if you also have a career, right? Then I got out and I started my company. You know, when you're a brand new entrepreneur, you're you're birthing something into the world. You're grinding, you're on grind mode. So after however many years, and it was almost 10 years with my company, I said, okay, am I going for the record year or the rewarding year? And I said, the clock's ticking. If I don't pull the trigger, there will be no trigger to pull. <laughs> and at 41, I went through IVF and had my daughter two days after my uh, 42nd birthday. You had her as a single mom or was there a partner involved? I did have her as a single mom, yes. And I got married uh, shortly after to a woman I thought was amazing at the time. But you know, divorce happens, life happens, you know, things happen. And she, uh, I'm sure is still an amazing woman. We were just not right for each other, mm -hmm. right? So um, it was a short marriage divorced and now it's just me and my little person and uh she is amazing and just loving life what's the most unexpected thing about being a mother oh how much love the capacity of for love that my tr my heart truly has yeah i hear you i have four daughters and I had them. I had two of them while I was starting my company, The Riveter. And like just me not understanding what starting a company was like because I do not come from a family of entrepreneurs. My daughters are now six, four, three, and one. And my company is three and a half. And I think I look back at the last four years and like, I don't remember it. I have three kids and I always say to women, there is no good time. Like there is no perfect time and there's never going to be a good time. And so if you're committed to having a career and having a family, you will figure it out mm -hmm. and you don't have to plan it perfectly because when you try to, it never works out that way. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think for, if you're listening and you're thinking about when to start your family, don't get to a certain point on your cap table, your personal cap table or some job title, or, you know, now at this point, you don't even need to wait for the perfect partner. You can do it on your own. And that's so true. That so true. It's one of my things that I talk about, you know, the gutsy move, right? In your gut, you know, it's right. It takes guts to do it, but you got to take action. If you don't take action, it wasn't a gutsy move. It was just a gutsy thought. And, you know, we can only do so much thinking about it. Uh, at what point do we stop waiting, engaging? So I said, I needed to engage, take action. When I was in the desert, before we could shoot our missiles, we had to get permission from the ground controller, right, to engage. And he would actually say, you have permission to engage. Well, here at home, there are no ground controllers in life. If you don't give yourself permission, who will? Like, who will? My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So in talking about if you don't give yourself permission, who will? You've built a business. And you've given yourself permission to do a lot of things. What advice would you give to someone today who is just stuck in life, in their career? Like, how can you help give yourself permission? So first, I'd say you're not stuck. You're just not moving. It's a conscious, intentional choice. I was bullied as a kid growing up. I grew up in an all-white neighborhood. Then I moved to all-black neighborhood. So I was different. I spoke different. I had long hair. We had horses. Uh, So I just didn't fit in at all whatsoever. Then junior high, then high school, you know, it continued. And then I got to college and I'd already decided, like, I'm just my own person. But I was very conflict avoidant. When I was a kid, especially, I would get so frustrated and pent up because I wouldn't say something if I felt it that I would just burst into tears. I would just cry. But, you know, when I got into the Army, I remember Lopez stole my my laundry bag. And I could rationalize anybody's bad behavior, right? Like, as well, maybe this, well, maybe that. Oh, I won't say anything. But when I saw that laundry bag and those drill sergeants were honest, I was like, what? Well, you, she's the one that put me through all that misery. When that inspection happened, then I didn't have my laundry bag. And I just went off. I cussed her. It was the first time I'd ever cussed somebody out in my life. And afterwards I said, ooh, that felt pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and so the being in those experiences along the adventure of life, as a cop, I couldn't just say, uh, excuse me, sir, the, to the drunk belligerent guy, could you just turn around and... um. Uh, put your hands behind your back, right? No, turn around, put your hands behind your back. 
I heard this woman say, and I wish I could remember who it was, but she said, you had to be it until you become it, right? Embody. So every day, if you don't feel courageous, do something courageous. If you don't feel gutsy, do something gutsy every day until it becomes, Oprah says that muscle, right? The no muscle. How hard is it for so many of us to say no to something we don't want to do? I'm going to digress for one second and psychoanalyze the fact I've done a ton of research. I used to write a lot about parenting. And one of the things that leads to a child being afraid to speak up is spanking. When you use spanking as a form of discipline, it creates fear-based parenting so that that child is then afraid to use their voice, to speak up to authority, to speak out. So I wonder if that's why it was in you always to speak up. And that's why you would burst into tears, but then it took you until your adult life to actually get the courage to use your voice. Absolutely. And it was only through experience being put in situations where it was like, speak up or deal with the consequences, speak up or deal with the fallout. And so many times we don't have those courageous conversations in corporate America, especially, right? The, the courageous conversation about what's really happening, what's really going on, because we don't want to deal with the fallout. What if I get alienated? What if I get fired? What if I get a bad evaluation? What if I get demoted, right? What if I don't get the promotion? What if people don't like me? There's so many facets to it. Amy, Vernice and I were on a board together and we were in a conversation recently with someone who was afraid to use their voice. And Vernice very bravely, I felt, said there were white people who housed slaves in their family to protect them when the Underground Railroad was happening. Mm -hmm. And they risked not only their lives, but their families' lives. And so let's talk about risk. And wow. It, you said something that I think most people would be too afraid to say. And that's one of the things I've admired about you since I first saw you speak when we spoke together at a conference years ago. I think that most people don't use their voice. And if, if our world was filled with people who did speak up, everything would look so different. It would look completely different. But how many times have we said, um, again, from especially the corporate America lens, but the community lens, right? If you have a seat at the table and you don't speak up, you're wasting a seat. Mm -hmm. Like, then why be at the table? I fought for the right for all of us to have that right. I did not want to be in the military. I did not. I want to be a cop that rode a horse downtown. I got in the military by accident. I saw the flyer, free trip to Mardi Gras. I said, hey, that fits the budget free, sign me up. After I got involved, I saw that it could be the strategic advantage that it was. It was during that time that I also saw the black woman in a flight suit, which life-changing, completely changed my life in that moment. I did not see myself in that role. I'd been flying since I was five or six to go see my dad, but I'd never seen a black pilot. And I'd definitely never seen a black female pilot. Now, should it have taken seeing a black female pilot for me to want to be a pilot? Well, no, I wanted to be a cop that rode the horse downtown, but again, access and exposure. I've had an amazing life, an amazing adventure. The Marine Corps was really tough. It was definitely the boys club. It was not like being on the police department and I thought it would be. So it was a rude awakening once I got there when people didn't like me just because of, I can't pee standing up. Like just based on who I am when I walk in the room, you do not want me there. That was a huge awakening. Talk about don't ask, don't tell and its impact on your life. So that's funny. When I first enlisted in the army, they actually asked the question, are you homosexual? And I lied. But by the time I was in the Marine Corps, don't ask, don't tell was in place. They didn't ask. I didn't tell. But you could probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And, uh, you know, I really didn't hide a lot about who I was at all. Um, but the difference was if John came to work and we were all talking about what we did for the weekend, John would say, oh, yeah, I took my wife and the kids to the park, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't say I took my wife to the park. I would just have to say I went to the park with a friend or I went to the park with my family. So, you know, a lot of times people say, well, why do you have to walk around and pronounce that you're gay? It's, it's not about that. It's just about being able to be just like anybody else and have the same protections and rights and liberties as 
anyone else who is my American sister or brother. That's such a great point. I read a really interesting essay that you wrote in a publication by the U.S. Marine Corps after the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I believe that was your kind of, as you said, like your public coming out in that essay, even though you'd been out of the military for some years. Well, and I think when I wrote that, I was still in when I wrote that. It was really close in there, like that transition and everything. What went into your decision to write that essay? The same decision that went into mine that when I answered the phone in the squadron and it was the San Diego Tribune and they asked if they could interview me and it felt like the acid bomb exploded in my stomach because I knew if I said yes, I'd be skylining myself yet once again in my squadron. Oh, you think you're special. And if I didn't, there would be so many people that didn't get the same vision, inspiration uh, that I did when I walked into that tent and I saw that black woman in a flight suit. So sometimes I say, and I heard this somewhere, when you're a pioneer in the wild west, sometimes you get arrows in your back. And what was the fallout like? I got extra duty. I didn't get put on the flight schedule as much. The guys, of course, had their comments. Oh, you know, you just think you're this, you think you're that. I mean, my commanding officer even called me into his office and said, Lieutenant Armour, why do they want to interview you? What makes you special? What makes you so special? I said, I'm not special. I'm just like all the other co-pilots in the squadron. I just want to be the best pilot that I could be. And if I may speak freely, If someone graduates from Harvard or Princeton and no one has ever graduated from Harvard or Princeton in my family before, we're gonna have a party, we're gonna celebrate because no one in my family has done that. My community is just celebrating because no one had done this. So I don't know if that sunk in or if it made an impact or not, but um, you know, for people to say, oh, well, people have been doing it for years. No, white guys have been doing it for years. Everyone hasn't been doing it for years and everyone didn't even have the access to do it for years. And when we see things happening now, how are we standing up against what's wrong? Or are we just looking the other way? Did you have a mentor or a sponsor in the military? Yes, many. And there was not a black female pilot in the military, right? Or the Marine Corps rather, which meant all of my mentors and sponsors and champions did not look like me whether they were white, black, man, woman. And I am a huge believer that you should have mentors inside and outside of what you're doing, right? Inside your organization, outside your organization, inside your industry, outside your industry, look like you, don't look like you. So you get that perspective from different angles to really see a situation more objectively than we would through just our own filter. What was Marine Corps training like? I think there's so many myths out there and we imagine it from movies, but what was it actually like? It was just like the movies. (laughs) G.I. Jane, okay, maybe not like G.I. Jane because I didn't go through SEAL training, but (laughs) it was crazy tough. I mean, I was always a slow runner. I was not, I was always in the turtle group. When I graduated from officer candidate school in the United States Marine Corps, I could, run anywhere, anytime, all day. I mean, I was a piece of lean meat and gristle. That's it. (laughs) I feel like there wasn't an ounce of fat on me. And my body just felt amazing. And I mean, I got on the bodybuilding team, power lifter. I mean, I I was always an athlete, right? I, I lifted weights during college and things. But even when I went through the Army and Police Academy, it was very tough on me physically. Officer Candidate School was tough on me physically, but the pressure was so much where they pushed your body so far to the limit that it had no recourse but to adapt. What's a day in the life of a Marine? Ah, Let's see if I can remember that far back, back when I was young. One of the things that scared me to death is I'm not a morning person and wake up in the morning was at uh, 4.30. Yeah, we were eating breakfast by 5.30. Yeah, every morning. And I said, oh my God, I'm going to die. I was also a very slow eater. And you've seen all the, the TV, you know, like, ah, you know, you're seven. Like, ah. And uh, so we'd get up at 430, we'd get our gear on, we'd get outside, we'd march over to the breakfast hall. We stand in line forever. You eat breakfast. And one of the things I learned was how to study in the military. So we had our book of knowledge, you know, and I started taking pages out of it and putting it in my pocket and everywhere I went, 
I would always study, 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 study for the test, right? And that followed me into flight, the basic school and then flight school. And now even in my own business, I was able to create my own little curriculums to learn certain things, like whether it's marketing or this or that or copy or whatever, because I'd been put in that situation of having to uptake huge, large amounts of knowledge before. So you'd eat breakfast. I was not a breakfast eater, like, and, you know, pancakes and all that stuff, eggs and sausage. And, and we're getting, then we're getting ready to go PT for physical fitness for an hour, hour and a half. After three days of being starving and going and working out, and I started eating pancakes and bacon and sausage. And uh, then we'd have a period of instruction in the classroom where we learn certain things and we'd go out into the field, the field meaning we'd go do field exercises out in the woods with our weapons and we'd have lunch. Sometimes it was out in the field as an MRE meal ready to eat. Sometimes it was in the chow hall. And uh, then there was dinner. Then you'd get back, you'd maybe take a shower, hopefully. But I remember my very first shower was maybe 20 seconds, 25 seconds long. And I knew it was gonna be like that because they tell you, get in the shower. And they run everybody in a line. They're like, get out! Like, literally, get in! Get Why is there so much yelling? Oh, there was yelling, there was burning. Why? Why? Is that necessary? <laughs> Sam, that is such a Sam question. Why is there so much yelling? <laughs> Is oh it necessary? God, like, I just want to understand. We have four kids, six, four, three, and one. There's no deep couch sitting. You don't just sit back on the couch. You're on the edge of the couch because one of them's getting ready to do something. There's always yelling. There's always yelling. In, in the beginning, anyway. It's not always like that. But in the beginning, it is. Because they're really indoctrinating you. They are breaking you down. It's us against them to where we depend on each other. and We bond as a team and we come together as a team. And we're in our leadership's role where we're leading our teams. You're not an individual anymore. Uh, you can't even say I. I, I had to say uh, Candidate Armor. Candidate Armor requests to go to the bathroom, right? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Do you still have friends from OCS? From OCS? Actually, I do. I haven't kept in touch with them like I should, but yes. In the basic school, 
I just had dinner with a guy that I was in the basic school with, which is where you go right after officer candidate school. Every Marine Corps officer goes through that school before they go off to their specialty because every Marine is a rifleman, right? And uh, Ken Gedeke, uh, he was actually over the company and he made me one of the platoon leaders. Talk about ahead of his time when this got diversity, inclusion and belonging. Uh, he's just amazing. And it was so cool to see him after 22 years, a month and a half ago, we had dinner together. That's so amazing. Awesome. I mean, he must be so proud of where you are today. You started this incredible corporate leadership company. Can you tell us a little bit about it and the names of the companies that you've spoken at? How did you get all these clients? So I've spoken for companies like... Wells Fargo, Bank of America, uh, Celgene, Target, Capital One, EY, Pfizer. I mean, I've been very blessed when it comes to, you know, Fortune 50, 100, 1,000 companies that I speak for on that foundation of permission to engage, gutsy leadership, right? Uh, defining digital moment, which has to do with the gutsy move, right? Blockbuster, you know, when they're defining digital moment was here, i.e. buying Netflix. And they were mm -hmm. like, no, they're launching. They weren't looking out. I mean, this is the C-suite. Like, this is the senior leadership, right? But how do you go from being fly girl mm -hmm. to you come out of the military and suddenly you don't just be blessed and then you have Fortune 50 clients? <laughs> How did you get there? It's true. So that's that's a longer story, but I'm going to sum that up real quick. I was on a battlefield where I was fighting real enemy. People were trying to kill me and take me out of the sky, right? Well, here at home, it's the battlefield of life. And there are a lot of parallels in being decisive, being committed, being situationally aware, being intentional, leading, speaking up, preparing, planning. And I think that's the, the foundation. It's, it's all about the framework, right? The flight plan, the flight plan for success, for life. Because when the crap hits the fan, as long as you have the framework, you can flex adapt, flex adapt, get back on course and accomplish the mission. Whether that's healthcare, a tech company, or a stay-at-home mom. When we have our plan for the day, things go a whole lot smoother than when we don't know what the heck we're doing and how we're gonna get it done. And it can be very overwhelming. When I was making that transition, honestly, I just wanted to be an inspiration and I wanted to be a role model and inspiration for people of color and especially women. And I knew I had something to offer for women in corporate America, especially women in STEM, right? Women in tech about the be gutsy, be bold, be prepared, be confident, stand up. Cause I'd gone from this kid who was bullied, who didn't have a voice to becoming a woman that felt empowered and strong and courageous and gutsy. And I had so many women coming up to me saying, how did you get there? How did you get there? So instead of sending them through boot camp or officer candidate school, <laughs> I just take them through different experiences. And they actually right now I have the gutsy confidence project, right? Where women who feel sometimes, you know, they feel like they have a lack of confidence, bouts of it, right? Or imposter syndrome. And it feels like the more senior a woman is that I'm talking to, the more this happens. I'm like, what are you talking about? You are so qualified. You are so amazing. You are so strong. But on the inside, we feel like at any moment we're going to get exposed. People are going to find out we really don't know everything we say we do. All our ducks aren't in a row. And like a job position will come out, a promotion, right? There'll be 10 qualifications. A woman will have 9.5 and say, oh no, I'm not qualified. A guy will have half of one and say, I'm going for it. Why? Why? I even made up these t-shirts, a closed mouth don't get fed. If we don't speak up, if we don't step up, all we got is no, that's it. My granny always said that, closed mouth don't get fed. <laughs> Amy, you have one more question before our lightning round. What was it like in Iraq? That is such a broad question, but I mean, thank you for your service, truly. A lot of people have never gotten to speak to a veteran who served us there. Honor to serve, first of all, to be able to go over there for my country. And as far as the heat goes, turn on your oven, put it on broil high, put your head in, throw sand in your face and turn on the blow dryer on high. That's probably what the heat felt like. And it was an obscure, crazy environment. I thought it was going to be this whole like band of brothers, like we're in it together. 
And at a certain point, I was walking back from the gym. The, the sun was scorching down on my skin. It was 123 degrees. Uh, I was having problems with the guys in the squadron. It was horrible. I was having problems with my girlfriend back in the States, thousands of miles away. And I was just having a horrible time, right? Just in life. I felt miserable. And I, there was no escape because every day was there. I couldn't go to the movies or go to a restaurant or take the weekends off or oh, walk away from the, Like you're there in the environment. 24 seven. And I just remember saying, God, I wish this, I was out of the squadron. God, I wish this deployment was over. God, I wish I was out of the Marine Corps. And then I just stopped and the dust was fine like talcum powder and it billowed up around. And I took a huge breath and I could feel the heat, the searing sand going in my lungs and it was painful. And I said, that is a breath I will never have again. And as painful as it was, it reminds me that I'm alive, that I have an opportunity to change my situation and my circumstances. And if I'm not careful, I will wish this squadron away. I'll wish this deployment away. I'll wish the Marine Corps away. I will have wished my life away. And then I will never forget it. And in that moment, I said, if I feel pain, it's just growing pain, period, end of story. And I will learn something from it because life, uh, I'm just being prepared for the next mission I'm being called to. So. Well, I'm not crying. That's okay. Um, I think that's, I mean, no, but really this is. In your eyes, it's just misting in your eyes. And yeah, makes me cry sometimes too. It's a lesson that everyone could use in so many instances of their life, particularly now when we're dealing with this collective grief of loss of life, of loss of our community. A lot of people have lost their jobs or their businesses. And I think like if you trying to frame it as growing pains is really, it's really profound. Yeah. All right. Lightning round. No more tears. Sam lightning has round. no emotions. I don't know if you know that. Um, anyway. That's very unemotional. That's, <laughs> that's, that's me. That's our, that's our role. I'm not sensitive. It's <laughs> just the puddle here. <laughs> Amy always asks what your morning routine is, but I really want to know what your sleep routine is. That's so good. It's so funny. I was thinking that I haven't been getting enough sleep. So I wear my Fitbit almost all the time. Uh, but the van broke, so I've been off my sleep routine. And I like to go to bed when my daughter goes to bed or shortly thereafter because I love to get eight or nine hours of sleep. Before COVID, I was getting up and going to the 5.30 in the morning class at CrossFit. CrossFitters were intense, were dedicated, were like crazy. I mean, it was totally my cup of tea. And uh, I'd come back, take a shower, jump on the computer, do whatever kind of work. Or if I was traveling that day, pack my bag, jump on the plane, head out, do my event, come back. Uh, hopefully I was taking my golf clubs with me. If it was summertime, taking my snowboard with me. If it was winter and I was going to Colorado or Whistler. And I always tried to infuse fun and adventure in my day. Looks very different now because I'm flying a desk, which I've never had a desk job in my life and it's about killing me, but we'll make it through. What are you reading? 90 Day Launch, Alan Weiss Consulting. Ooh, I was trying to make it through. Oh, that's so good. Gosh, if you had prepared me, I would have had the books that I'm reading. Oh, the 12 week year. Okay, so when I was in Iraq, I read all the time and I would go through a book every two days. Every two and a half days, I was picking up a new like novel book. I would read through a book that fast. But when I got back, and especially when I started my company, I was reading so much on business that now I'm just, I soak up business books like The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, The Four Agreements, Miguel Ruiz, The Celestine Prophecy. That's probably as close to, if you were to say fiction, um, that I probably get these days. Because if I'm reading fiction, I could be reading something that is enhancing my personal development, that is growing me. I'm looking I will at say I'm, I'm a huge believer that fiction enhances your personal development even more than nonfiction. If you read a fiction book after having read all of this nonfiction, you will be blown away. I'm going to send you like three recommendations. Okay, but that's what Netflix is for. <laughs> what, are you, what are you watching right now? Oh, I just finished watching the last season of The 100. Oh, I'm a huge sci-fi buff. I just watched Black Lightning. I watched The 13th by um, Ava DuVernay, which was crazy and amazing. And of course, I watched Barbie and Friends. <laughs> You let your daughter watch that Barbie garbage. <laughs> I know, something happened and she got exposed to it. And I tell you what, it's all about access and exposure. Has she never watched that iPad or TV? 
uh, she'd probably be a different kid right now. But you know what? We're all on our journey. I'm just her shepherd. She doesn't even belong to me. I was just blessed to be able to bring her into the world and to help guide her for these first few years as she goes off to learn her own lessons and discover her own things. And uh, I'm just so excited she chose me to be her mom. What's your childcare situation? I have a nanny and my mom stays with us a whole lot. She lives in Memphis, but she'll come down here and stay for months. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Again, super blessed on that front. And I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Um, But I absolutely believe in uh, higher power and that we're not going through all of this for nothing. And one of my favorite sayings is the universe is conspiring for my best interest at all times. And it's up to me to see the opportunity and the obstacle. Napoleon Hill in the book, Think and Grow Rich, 1936, said, most of the time, opportunities come disguised as obstacles. Diversity is the mother of innovation. So vitamin O, baby, vitamin O. Obstacles are opportunities. (laughs) All right, Lou, it's your turn. Wow. Okay, okay, okay. I'm still trying to digest some of that vitamin O right now. But um, you, my goodness, you are such a light. And thank you so much for your service. Thank you for the incredible, phenomenal Black queen that you are. I am so inspired. The amount of people that we've interviewed, oh, I'm just getting more in touch with so many different areas that I I didn't even know existed. And this has just been the most emotional, incredible, phenomenal ride of my life. You being a Black woman, me, me being a Black man, I am currently working on emotional intelligence and open up a door so that other Black men can have an arena where we can actually get vulnerable and talk about things you just don't talk about. I want to know, what are you doing as a Black woman to allow other people of our ethnic group to have access to things that we just don't have access to, to be privy to information that we are not privy to? No, that's really good. A lot of research is out there. When you look at the average woman-owned business owned by a white woman, it's 183000 in revenue. Uh, then you look at the woman of color, it's 87000 a year revenue. And the average Black woman-owned business was $27,000 a year in revenue compared to 183000 of white women. So it's a very stark difference. And I started this thing called Fly Girl Fridays, just at, actually at the end of COVID where I said, well, I shouldn't say the end, but I said the rest of 2020 doesn't have to be horrible for some people it's been the worst year of their their life. So how do we create the best year and create the breakthrough even in the midst of obstacle, right? Where do we find the opportunity? So I created Fly Girl Fridays with a very low barrier to entry because it really is about access and exposure and being able to have access to the resources and people and mentors that can help us move forward. Um, I try to be very active on social media and be vulnerable and actually speaking about things that matter with some amount of depth. But I think it's important for those of us who have a different perspective and a little insight that our brothers and sisters may not, it's incumbent upon us to share it, right? Because if you think about generational PTSD that has been passed down through the generations, they talk about abuse being generational and yet break the cycle. That's all we knew at one point for 401 years. We haven't even been out of slavery half the time we were in it. I mean, my grandfather still talked to me about his aunt that was a slave. You know, Sam, you talked about spankings. Many Black families spanked their kids because that's the discipline that was done to them because it was done to their grandmother and their great-grandmother, right? We have a ways to go. And it's going to take the people who have some sense of being awake to wake other folks up, to create those moments of, oh man, I never looked at it like that. Thank you for sharing that because now I think about that differently, along with access, equity, and the opportunity that we haven't had before. A couple of things that stuck out to me, Amy, from that interview were how unafraid Bernice is and how she talked about access and she also is just has this unbelievable optimism. Access is really important. She talks a lot about representation and access, right? That if you can't see what you wanna be, it's hard to imagine being it. And then it's also hard to imagine those doors opening for you the thing that's really amazing about Bernice is even though she's lived this really hard life and done really brave and amazing and incredible things and been incredibly successful, she doesn't stop or rest on it. She wants to make sure that she can be representation and she can be access. 
for her community, for women, for women of color. And, and that's really hard work. It's so well said and it's so true. And I think that what gets her through it is, is her attitude, which is truly extraordinary and contagious. I don't think I could be in a bad mood around her. I wasn't in a great mood when we started this interview and now I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that. Thank you all for listening and thanks for following us on social media. And we love interacting with you. Thank you to our production team at Large Media and our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Blue Burns. And this podcast is powered by Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com, and Amy's company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co. And I just talked about myself in the third person. (laughs) (laughs) That is against the law. You break all the rules, Amy. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now right rug flooring Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.